Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. So let's go to Luke chapter 5. This morning, we're going to be picking up in a a section that that we started dealing with last week. Actually, I want to begin reading at verse 27, but we're going to begin studying this morning at verse 29, which is where we left off last week. Matthew 5 and verse 27 After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them, and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days days. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning, and as we begin to to continue on in this passage, I pray that you would meet us and teach us and grow us and challenge us, Lord, on the view that you hold of people, of you, Lord, that we're so grateful for as it pertains to our lives. Lord, how you chose to eat with us while we were yet sinners, while you chose to reach out to us while we were yet sinners, while you chose to die for us while we were yet sinners. Lord, what a reconciliation there is in that, Lord. What a truth there is that there's not an expectation placed upon us to be something in order to be acceptable to you. But Lord, what a truth that you have done what is necessary to make us acceptable. And you've reached out to us. Unlike the Pharisees, you desire to to fellowship with us and to, to meet us where we were so that you could take us to where you are. Lord, change us this morning. Take us to where you are today as we continue on in this study of your word. Take us there, Lord, as we submit our hearts in yieldedness to you. May this study this morning impact all of us. And Father, I know it will as we yield to the power of your spirit as he leads us through this study. Let my words be succinct and clear and not overly overly uh, reflective of my own thoughts, but just reflective of what you've shared with us so that we can truly be impacted and changed. Lord, we give you this time, we give you our hearts, and we give you our attention. For it's in Jesus' name all God's people prayed. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, verse 29 begins a section that really is tied to what I just read to you in verse 27 we were looking at together. So, you know, Jesus made that call to Matthew uh, in our scripture here in the book of Luke. He's known as Levi, but it's Matthew. Levi is just his Greek or his uh, Hebrew name. Matthew is his Greek name. When Matthew gives the same account in his gospel, he uses his Greek name and refers to himself as Matthew. 
But like we looked at last week, it is just such a beautiful passage because the offer that Jesus made to him is so unlike the offer we find within religion itself. Jesus simply called Matthew to come follow. Just said, follow me. That's all he said, come follow me. Now, it wasn't that Jesus wanted Matthew to remain as he was, a, a sinful man. No, no, there was no question that Jesus knew that, that, that Matthew needed to change. But Jesus understood that the way Matthew changed was through that invitation. That as any man or woman begins to simply follow Jesus, Jesus now has the opportunity to change who they were. I, I grew up, and we're going to talk a lot about that this morning because we're going to see the attitude of the Pharisees here as this account continues. But, you know, growing up, I, I experienced a lot in, in various aspects of Christianity. I mean, after coming to faith in Jesus, it's like I, I, I was part of, of, of churches and, and church groups at times where there were so many expectations levied on me to change myself. Oh, it was always in the context of, of Jesus will change you, but you, 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 you need to change for Jesus. To change you is almost a subtle message. Look, Jesus doesn't need my help to change me. He doesn't need your help to change you. Yes, he does ask for your obedience. Yes, he does ask for your submission. Yes, he does ask for you to follow him. But all the work that needs to be done, he will do in your life if you do those simple things of simply to follow. You know, I was blessed last week and someone that was attending the outdoor service had shared with me. I, I had said, if you remember last week, I had mentioned that, you know, I, I just, uh, I've never, it's not that I'm against altar calls or us being able to know the day or time that we're saved. That's fine. But, you know, I, I said that sometimes we place so much emphasis on that, that, that we almost feel unspiritual if I can't remember the day and the hour and the moment when I came to faith in Christ. And I have learned over the years, when I look at the Scriptures, I, I don't see the disciples being able to look back and pinpoint the exact moment that it happened. There was a transformation process that was taking place as they followed Jesus. And I've seen that played out in the lives of many people. You know, in particular, when we first walked into a Calvary Chapel, I had people sitting around me over the years there that I knew were friends of others that they brought that didn't know the Lord. I knew that. But by the time, you know, two or three years had passed, there was no doubt that and a good number of those folks, I knew that they were solid believers in Christ. But every one of them, a whole bunch of them, could never have told you when that moment was. They just began to follow, and Jesus began to change. And that's not to say that an altar call, we shouldn't do them. It's not to say that. It's not to say that there isn't a moment. But what I am saying is that the process of change that Jesus will bring to your life can bring far more than simply a moment where you have an emotional experience and you say a, a magic prayer of some sort, a formulaic prayer, that, that somehow you think that does it, rather than simply just following Jesus. And that, there was a person who came up to me last week and said, I, I've been set free this morning. I've always felt like a lesser Christian because I could never remember the day or the hour when I did that. But I know I'm a believer in Christ. I, I would go nowhere else but to follow him. I know it's it's what he did for me that has changed my life forever. I know that it's his work of the cross that that has transformed me. And I believe in him. He's my God. He's the one I serve and follow. But I've never been able to look back and know when that happened. And I felt like a lesser Christian because of it. And this morning, I, I just feel like I'm free. I'm free that that expectation has been lifted from me. And I, I smiled at that person. I said, well, for whatever it's worth, most of the time when asked me, when were you saved? I, I picked a day and an hour just because I know that's the expectation. I know roughly about when I began to follow Jesus, but that's the best I can tell you. I just know that he transformed my heart over 45 years of walking with him. And where else would I go? 
I hope that makes sense to you guys. And I point that out because like so many things, religionists have placed so many things upon us. And some of that is out of fear that we're going to, to, to give ourselves over to things we shouldn't if they don't. And yet, as we look at this passage this morning, this simple offer to come follow to Matthew, and now what's going to follow on, how, how different that is than the religionists of that day and the religionists of our day. Jesus placed no expectation, and yet he had great expectation of change. But his expectation was in what he would be able to do in the life of those who followed, if they followed. So I hope this morning as we begin, you're following Jesus, you know, because I promise you this, if you're truly following Jesus, you're, you're going as he's leading you, you're obeying as he's asking you, I promise you this, through the power of his spirit who he gave to indwell you, he will bring about a change that you may not see right away. You may not even realize at first that it's happening, but you'll have periods in your life where you'll begin to look back and you'll realize how far you've come, but not through your strength, through what he's done. You'll realize how far Jesus has brought you. And if you're like me, you know, one of the things I often do is as I look at my life, I realize how far short I still fall, you know, how far I still have to go. And that's okay. You know, because until we stand before him, as Paul said, you know, not that I am already perfected. Paul understood. I mean, think about that for a minute. The great apostle Paul understood that in this life he never quite measured up. But he knew, he knew, he knew that the Lord was still perfecting him. And there was a day coming when he would stand complete. And so will we. And this life is a journey. It is a journey of change that will occur. And we won't always see it as it's happening. But we will look back at times and just realize how far he's brought us. And you know what? the great part of that is, then we can give him praise and thanks for it, can't we? Because we realize he's done that for us. So let's look here. Let's pick up in verse 29. Then Levi gave, a gr- gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them, and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. Luke now tells us that Levi throws this party, that he invites his, his fellow tax collectors to his home, and he's having this party, and, 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 and it appears to be a farewell party. It's a good assumption that's what this is. This is a farewell party. Matthew's made this decision. He's going to follow Jesus, and, and, and he's leaving everything behind. We saw that immediately he followed him. We saw that before in the, in the preceding verses. But, but now he's gathered his friends, these tax collectors, to the circle in which he's moved for so long to say goodbye and to follow Jesus into the unknown. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to note in here. Number one, this is truly a farewell in a permanent sense for Matthew as he leaves this part of his life behind. It is a farewell in a permanent sense. It's not just that he's, he's going with, 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 you know, it's, it's not that he's, he's going with no intention of return, but, but he's leaving knowing it will be impossible for him to, to return again to his profession that he's leaving behind. There, there's no way, think about this, there's no way. Remember I told you tax collectors got their position because they purchased it. It went to the highest bidder. And there's no way that the Romans would restore a guy who had abandoned this position and gave it up like this, but they'll just simply sell it to the next buyer and that position is gone. 
So it's not just that, that, P, that, that Matthew's leaving with no intention of returning. When I say no intention, I mean no intention, but who knows what could happen in the future. No, he's going knowing full well he will never, ever return to this part of his life again. Now, I point that out because in many ways, this, this really, I think, makes his sacrifice so much greater than the other disciples in, in some ways. I mean, in fact, you know, most if not all of them will, will come from trades to which they could return if they wanted to. Now, you know that in John chapter 21, Peter and some of the disciples who were fishermen decided they were going to go back to fishing. You know, I remember uh, uh, Pastor Azarias here from Alaska. I always loved how he always said that out of New King James. I go a fishing. You know, they were going to go back. They were going to return to their former life. But but we know from that account, it's still even for them, it turned out to be a shoe that didn't fit them any longer. But But they still tried to go back. But this will not be the option for Matthew. This won't be an option. When he leaves tax collecting behind, it's gone forever. That's gone forever. There's no, there's no turning back. This is how it should be for all of us. This is how it should be for us. You know, when we, when we cut the ties of our past life to, to follow Jesus, we, we shouldn't leave any breadcrumbs behind, uh, any kind of trail by which we might be able to just find our way back if we need to. First, it's inappropriate for us to do that. It's inappropriate for us to leave any kind of trail of breadcrumbs to go back to our former life when we've chosen to follow Jesus. Just as Jesus tells us, we need to count the cost before we accept his offer. We need to count the cost before we accept his offer. As Jesus will later make clear to those who are following him, here's what he says in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through verse 33. Luke 14, verse 25 Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Interesting. Do you know what that whole passage is about? When you choose, count the cost. If you're going to choose to go with Jesus, then count the cost. If you're going to choose to be Jesus' disciple to the invitation that he makes, then count the cost. You know, it's interesting as I've sat down with people and I've shared Christ with them, and I know there's different views of of leading people to Christ and how we should do that. And honestly, I've had some people offended by, by what I say when I say this. I hope you're not, but it just is what it is. When I sit down with people, I have no desire to just simply close the deal. It doesn't mean I don't want to lead them to Christ. More than anything, I want to see them come to Jesus. But I want them to understand what it is they're, who it is they're following. I want them to understand the commitment that they're making to it. Oh, it's not a commitment that's burdensome, but still to understand that when they say, "Yeah, I want to follow Jesus," what's what what should be involved in that? You see, 
And so I don't push people. I don't push people to choose. I, I share the gospel with them. I lay it out for them. And, and, and I look at them and say, but now it's your choice. Count the cost. Count the cost. And I've had people ask me, what's it going to cost me? And my answer is your whole life. Your whole life. Who you were, what you were. Because you'll change. He's going to change your life. If this life is more valuable to you than, than what Jesus could offer. And remember for Matthew and, and the disciples, they had no idea what they were about to walk into. <laughs> it wasn't like Jesus told them, okay, if you follow me, here's, here's the cool stuff you're going to get to do. They had no idea. <laughs> they just chose to follow. Knowing full well that their life would be left behind and they would change. And so I look at people and say, your life. It's going to change. It doesn't mean who you are is going to change. It doesn't mean everything in your life will be taken away. No, it doesn't mean that. But, but I can't tell you what will and what won't. And I can't tell you how, how it's all going to work out. I just know this, that you have to count the cost because it's going to cost your life. Not your physical life, but who you are, what you've been all your life. And if you're not ready for that, well, that's between, you know, you got to decide. But the question I also ask is, if not now, when? When people say, well, I'm not ready yet. Well, if not now, when will you be ready? What, what will meet the criteria of being ready? I hope that makes sense to you. But I see that in this passage. And, and, and you know, when we look at this, we realize that turning back means, if, if we've turned back, it means that we've never really counted the cost before we began to follow Jesus. It means that we haven't left all. It means that we haven't forsaken all to become his disciple, but that we've remained connected to things that ultimately have taken priority over him. Family, as he points out in here, friends, careers, the comforts of our old life. And it's not like Jesus, you know, hasn't warned us about what's involved in following. Now, I didn't say he'd tell us everything that will happen, but, but he certainly has warned us about what's involved in, in following him because he never painted a rosy picture for any of his followers, Right? He made clear that being his followers would not be easy or, or materially rewarding in this life. But it would be a life filled with loneliness and, and even deprivation at times. I mean, listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 18 through verse 22. Matthew 8, verse 18. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus says, you know what? If you're going to follow me, there's no exceptions. And, and to know that what you're walking into is the life that I have. And my life is one of difficulty and, and, and loneliness and deprivation. I mean, I got no place to lay my head upon a stone, you see, or upon a pillow. My pillow is a stone. <laughs> He even made clear that hatred and persecution might even be a part of life for those who choose to follow him. In, in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 1 through verse 4, he says this, John 16, verse 1, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at 
at the beginning because I was with you. And so Jesus tells his disciples right up front, hey, you're following me. Know that these things are going to happen. It's going to be a difficult life. Persecution's going to come. Now we can look at that and say, well, that's the way he told the original disciples, but how's he told us that? Well, later in Scripture, Peter makes the same thing clear to all of those who would follow Jesus. Because Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12 through verse 14, 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Now, I just want to point out, he begins that by saying, hey, don't think it's strange. When, when they, they come after you, don't think it's strange when your life becomes difficult as you follow Jesus, as you're brought to task for your faith in him. Don't think it's strange. Why? Because it's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Does this mean that everyone will suffer? No. Does this mean that everyone will face loneliness? No. Does this mean that everyone will suffer deprivation? No. But it does mean that we should not be surprised that these things are a part of it. Jesus never painted a rosy picture, and he didn't do that because he was being honest with those that he was making this offer to come and follow. I think we do a disservice today in Christianity with the message that's out there that just says, come and and follow Jesus, and your life is going to be, you know, so much better and, and he, all these things he's going to do for you, and, and you're, you know, oh man, you're going to get blessing upon blessing. Look, there's no doubt that that decision I made some 45 years ago to follow Jesus has resulted in, in, in tremendous satisfaction in my life and blessing in my life. But it's not because of the things that, that seem to be communicated today within Christianity. It has to do with my relationship with him. But difficulty and hardship and loneliness and, and, and mock, being mocked and, and, and put down and even to a degree persecuted in some cases, I found that to be true. And so, you know, I, I think we have to make sure we understand that when we paint a picture, that's not what the scriptures or even Jesus painted. We do a disservice to the gospel and we don't allow people to make the choice and they need to understand that this is a part of the life. But, oh, yeah, choose this life and you'll never want to go back. I have no problem looking at somebody and saying that. Choose this life and you'll never, You, where else would you go? I don't know anything else. This world is foreign to me. The thinking of this world is foreign to me. Sadly, the thinking of much in Christianity today is becoming foreign to me. My heart and life are bound up in Christ and who I was is gone. Now, I hope this morning as you're listening on live stream or sitting here today that you relate to this and you're saying the same thing. Yep, it totally upended my life in so many ways. But it was a good upending. It was a good upending. So, so this idea of turning back, though, we can't even say that we're turning back because things were harder than we thought they would be. No, we've been told. We just didn't count the cost. You see, you know, Jesus had nothing good to say about those who turn back for whatever reason. Listen to what he says. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, later on, we'll look at this as we move down through the book of Luke. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus is going to say this, and this is pretty pretty straight out. Luke 9, 62, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Whoa, whoa. So clearly turning back is not an option for any of us. Why would we want to do that? And second, turning back or even leaving a a way to turn back, leaving those breadcrumbs so we could go back just in case, I I would argue it lessens the impact of our worship 
of him. It, it lessens the impact of our worship of him. We worship Jesus by accepting his offer to follow him. But our greatest act of worship is our, in our willingness to, to leave everything behind to do that. It's our greatest act of worship because it costs us something. When we leave behind, it costs us something. When David was seeking a place to, to build that altar to the Lord and, and Aruna offered to give him the land for free where he could build it, David said to him in 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, Then the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. You see, our greatest act of worship is when we willingly, we willingly part with things of value in our lives, that we're willing to let go of things, when we're willing to, 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 to part with things in our lives that cost us something. I'm not talking about quitting your job. I'm not talking about, you know, emptying your bank accounts and giving it all to the poor. I'm not talking about that, at least not if the Lord hasn't specifically told you to do that. I have known some Christians who have come to faith in Christ and the Lord never told them to do some things and they did this stuff and then later regret it and then had to go back out and try to reaccumulate it again, which just made it all some kind of weird thing, you know? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.